My name is Logan Hatfield. I'm an electronic media and broadcast major with a minor in sports business. Hi, my name's Noah, and I'm currently in high school. And yeah, I'm going over the health of the people in the Saha Republic. Uh, my name is Parker Fleming. I'm a visual, visual communication and design major with a minor in computer science, and I will be going over the culture of the Yaku people. Hi, my name is Leo, and I'm still in high school and I'll be going over the architecture of Sahara Republic. And so uh, my topic is going to be over the climate and weather that you find in the Sahara Republic. So I'm going to go ahead and get it started by talking about uh, climate extremes in the Sahara Republic. Uh, what a climate extreme is, is it's a place where you're going to be able to find some of the lowest and highest temperatures possible. Um, the Sahara Republic is a great example of this. You're going to find super low temperatures in the winter, and super high temperatures in the summer. Uh, it actually does have some of the lowest temperatures ever recorded. It has dipped below negative 90 degrees more than once. In January of 1924, it actually hit negative 96 degrees Fahrenheit. And it, uh, it dipped below negative 90 again in the 1980s as well. And uh, in January, it has an average temperature of negative 46 degrees and it has an average June temperature of 68 degrees, but both of those can fluctuate as you can see. It can go to negative 90 and it can go up to 90 either way. So with these average temperatures, this is very impactful because it's going to affect the way that the people there live. It's way colder than most countries, you know, year-round the United States has an average temperature of 54 degrees, so you can already see it's going to be way colder and it's going to be way warmer at certain parts of the year. It also, it has some of the harshest temperatures in the inhabited world currently. There's not a lot of places in the world where you're going to find temperatures and weather conditions like this. It's pretty rare and it's not something you're going to see very often. As far as precipitation is uh, con concerned, it has typical low precipitation levels. There isn't much precipitation in this area. You're not going to find much rain or snow. Outside of 8 to 16 inches of precipitation annually, it's really something you don't see very often just based on some of the conditions. And speaking of said conditions, like I mentioned earlier, these are the harshest conditions, uh, some of the harshest conditions on the earth at their worst. And those low temperatures, while they may sound unbearable, when the air is dry and there's calm wind levels, it's typically bearable just as long as you're bundled up and warm. You won't have to worry about it just as long as it's not windy or harsh air conditions. That's, that's so crazy that like people actually live in such cold yeah. like environments. Like thinking about that as you were talking, I was like, that's, that's crazy. Cause like when you brought up the stat of like average temperature being what 54 degrees in America and then like the difference of negative 96 like that's that's insane I can't even I get cold at like 20 degree weather like I can't even imagine oh yeah I could anything like that no shot I could no possibly. not at all like that's that's kind of like the really interesting part about this whole topic is just like how people can bear and like living in that type of a climate you know what I mean yeah it's like definitely very interesting because I know for one I could not. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the permafrost in the area. Uh, nearly the entire region has permafrost lying under it. It's something that you're gonna find almost everywhere in the Sakai Republic. And uh, 
it makes vegetation fairly scarce. While doing my research, I found that the northern part of the Sahara Republic was basically the only place where you're going to find real vegetation. And when you talk about forests in the area, most of them are stunted in their growth just because they don't have enough, like, soil and ground to really grow as much as a normal forest. So a lot of that's stunted in growth. Uh, as far as uh, permafrost is concerned, it's 450 feet deep when you're at the capital of Yakutsk. And then if you go to the coasts, you'll find it's almost 1,000 feet deep at that point. So there's so much underlying permafrost in the area. Yeah, I, I was also reading about permafrost, and apparently there is like 200 Siberian cattle grounds that are like contaminated with anthrax that has been getting out and like, I don't know, just infecting people and causing a lot of death over there. That's that's insane how like that can be held in permafrost for so long. Like that's really crazy to think about like how long ago anthrax was really like a big problem mm -hmm. and how it's just stuck in like this permafrost now. And then even like what you said with like thousand feet deep permafrost, like that's crazy. That's like unimaginably like so much just like ice and snow and that's that is insane. Yeah, and with the large amount, we don't really know how much anth anthrax is really, like, lying right. down there. Yeah. Or even what else is down there. You know what I mean? Like, there could be so many other things. There could be, like... Because what they found that thing, um, that, like, frozen man, like not, too, like, not too long ago, like, in permafrost. So it's just, like, thinking about that, it's crazy how many other things that we don't even know are down there, like, with melting permafrost. So yeah, it's pretty wild. It is very wild. So the last thing I wanted to talk about on my part was uh, climate change. So as with most places in the world, the temperature is slowly rising, but even with that, it's still it's still one of the toughest places uh, climate-wise in the world. And this has effects on how the people are living and thriving. And um, I know, Noah, you have a lot about climate change and how it affects the people. Yeah. So um, I'm going I'm to let you take over and... Uh, mention your your piece on that yeah so um i was kind of looking at like the health and how this climate change has really like made a lot of people sick over there so there was a study of 813 people 547 women and 266 men and then per 100 cases they discovered that there was 67.9 digestive diseases 45.3 genitourinary diseases 44.4 circulatory diseases 36.9 respiratory diseases, and then 28.4 musculoskeletal and connective tissue diseases, which has been really, like, affecting them. There's been a lot of people dying from disease and stuff in the Sahara Republic. And then also, there was another study about, like, mental health in there, and uh, there was a very high increase in suicide and, like, depression rates, which has, like, been causing really low life expectancy. Also, another thing contributing to that is there's, like, a lot of first cousin unions which means that the low life expectancy is getting even lower over there. Wow. That's insane. That That is crazy. I did not know that. That's wild. Mm -hmm. So I guess I don't know if you, if this came up in your research, but like what is the, because like when we watch like Grizzlies and stuff, the suicide rate was high amongst like young people. Was that the same in like the Saha or was that different? Um, It's, there's a lot of young people committing suicide, but it's also like, just kind of spread out across ages because mm. there's also like assimilation techniques that have been going on from like the Russian government and stuff, yeah. which have been trying to like uh, make them more like other Russians and less lose their like indigenous ways. 
So there's been a lot of loss of like language and then also like, I don't know, kind of like their purpose in life. Mm -hmm. So like they've been losing a lot of their practices of like hunting and gathering and everything, which also has led to the digestive disease statistic. Because I mean, like the less food that they have had for years and years, they're kind of like adapted to that food. Right. And now that loss of food has kind of made it to where it's just like their stomachs can't support that for years. Yeah, I know like in my research, it came up that like the Yakut diet consists of a lot of like dairy, like dairy mm -hmm. and a lot of um, like lactose uh, products and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting to think about how like a group of people for so many years ingest like a certain type of food and then all of a sudden through like assimilation, it just like their bodies just can't adjust to like new foods and mm -hmm. stuff. And yeah. Also something else you said that I found interesting was like the assimilation processes. It's like goes along with the generational trauma that we've been talking about in class, mm -hmm. like how that does affect people. And it reminds me a lot of like the North American um, indigenous people with like the way that their culture was stripped and it just causes mm -hmm. generational trauma through ages. And it's, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Also, like, the extreme cold and stuff mm -hmm. has caused, like, extreme cases of pneumonia and, like, other, like, respiratory diseases from just, like, their lungs can't handle cold. Wow, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine, like, the physical effects of constantly being in such a cold environment. Because even with uh, that video we watched early in the semester for class um, where the two guys were in the Saha Republic and, like... He couldn't even go outside without, like, gloves on for more than it was, like, 10 minutes or else he would have got frostbite. Like, that's, it's crazy how much of, like, a dangerous environment people can live in. Yeah, I think they said during that video that one of them took their gloves off for, like, five minutes and they thought they might have frostbite and so they had to get yeah, to the hospital. I remember that. And yeah. I think, I think it was the same video. Someone, like, their ear, like, got frostbite yeah. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole other thing that they had to address was, like what do you even do when you get frostbite on your ear? Like, that's something that we, like, would never even think no, about, yeah. like, at all. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how, like, frostbite and stuff is such a big deal over there. Yeah. When, like, here we don't even get really that cold. No, I mean, like, I feel like growing up, like, there's been winters where it's been cold, and, like, that was a thought in your mind of, like, oh, frostbite. But it's never, like, a constant struggle of, like, battling... Mm just staying alive in such a like intense and harsh climate no, yeah yeah it's only something i'd ever heard of not really ever yeah. like, seen or experienced nope not at all yeah. like here it would take like hours and hours oh, yeah. in this in like the cold and snow to be able to get frostbite but there it's just like five minutes yeah they just step outside with like no gloves on and they could have to get their fingers amputated in like minutes like that's mm -hmm. unbelievable yeah, literally. Yeah. Crazy. Couldn't imagine having to go outside with, like, five layers on just no. to keep warm. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it now. It's getting cold, and I'm, like, walking out with two or three layers, and I still feel cold. Like, I cannot even imagine the preparation mm -hmm. that goes into just walking outside, like, in Siberia. Like, it's, that's insane. Yeah, going back to my other point about, like, indigenous people and their loss of, like, culture and stuff, mm -hmm. I know that you had some stuff about that also. Yeah, I do. So my, um topic was mainly on the uh, Yakut people, uh, who are the indigenous people of the Saha Republic. Um, and there was roughly like 400,000 people living in the Saha Republic. Um, and the Yakuts, the indigenous people, are the northernmost speaking 
Turkish language group people, which I found very interesting. And uh, the Yakut people come from a group of Turkic-speaking cattle drivers who were pressed northward by the expanse of the Mongol Empire um, a long time ago. And the language is has Turkic roots roots with um, select Mongol additives because of like such heavy um, like such heavy relation with the Mongols and how close like their tribes were to the Mongols. Um, the now the Yakuts are semi semi nomadic group of people. They used to be fully nomadic, but then once Russian like assimilation stuff started with all of that like culture being taken away, it's a lot of um, less semi nomadic people, but some still are. Um, and there's really two different types of Yakut people. There's the northernmost people who are hunters, fishermen, and reindeer herders, who are more of like your traditional um, like indigenous people that you would think of. And then the South Yakuts are cattle drivers and and they uh, race horses. So it's more of like a farming, more livestock farming type of lifestyle um, in the South of the Saha Republic. Um, another thing that I found really interesting that I think we also watched a video on was um, in the Saha Republic, a crowd of over 200,000 people gather every summer solstice for a festival of uh, it lasts mm -hmm. three days. I'm probably going to butcher this name, but it's Yayak, something like that, but probably butchered it. But um, The Yakuts traditionally, traditionally live in camps with family members. Um, during the winter season, they live in long huts with sod roofs and dirt floors. And in the summer, the Yakuts switch to cone-shaped tents made of animal skins with a furnace in the middle to keep warm. And they have a diet of primarily um, dairy products and like fermented uh, milk, which is crazy how anyone could drink fermented milk. I can't yeah. even think about that. I was thinking about that while like researching. I can't imagine that being a base part of my diet yeah didn't we also watch a video and they were like we eat a lot of horse here now yeah like, that was the video i was thinking of yeah that's wild yeah, that's crazy yeah they eat a lot of horse drink a lot of fermented milk yeah like here we don't even think about horses like a mm -mm. food source at all not at all no that's no, as someone who's like semi-lactose intolerant yeah. i could i could never <laughs> possibly live in this area just yeah. strictly based on their diet i, I couldn't oh, yeah. handle it I saw pictures of like a Yakut person drinking like the fermented milk and it's like it has like mold growing over the top of it and oh. stuff because it's like it's fermented like that's just how it's made yeah. and I was just looking at them like I don't get how people could enjoy that like it's definitely a cultural like acquired taste. I would lose my appetite sure. just no, looking at sure, it. No for sure for sure me too. And another thing I heard you say you talked about uh, the influence of the Mongols on mm -hmm. their language and like kind of culture. Mm -hmm. I think this, that's that's pretty cool to me just based on, like, the fact that there's so many cultures still alive today that have he such heavy Mongol influence. Oh, yeah. Because, They're, like, yeah. the Mongols were so important throughout most of, like, the Eastern Hemisphere's history. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's stuff you're going to find almost anywhere over there because the Mongols dominated the world for a long time. And it's pretty cool to hear that, like, they're still, they're still having, like, lasting effects today. Oh, yeah. It's... It's crazy because, well, I think the Mongols are, like, the largest land empire to ever, like, be on the earth. Because I think, I don't know exactly, but it was something, like, um, from China all the way to, like, mid-Europe or something like that was their empire, which is just insane to think about. And, I mean, like, I feel like when you have an empire that large, like, it's hard to not 
have lasting effects. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's just so many, like, because all those people that lived there around the time period were just being pushed out by the Mongols. So, like, all the Yakuts who moved north, um, they just had to pick up influence from from them. And another thing that I just remembered from research is the Yakuts didn't have a written form of language until the Russians annexed the region. Um, I forget the date, but they annexed the region and gave, like, helped the Yakuts form a written language. So a lot of their language was just speech-based with, like, no, like, actual historical archive. So that's why, like, all of the history of the Yakuts is based through genetic information that we have. It's not a lot of, like, because you don't have a lot of written information or anything like that. So really all of their um, history is based on genetic information. Another thing that I thought was really interesting when I was researching was the festival. I think it's insane how 200,000 people gather every summer for that in such a, like, sparsely populated area, like, compared to, like, where we live, at least. Like, how many people that is. Because, I mean, the Yakuts are around 400,000 people by themselves, and then 200,000 people show up to the festival every year. That's literally half their That's population. That's literally, like, half their population just, mm-hmm. like, showing up to this festival. And I think that that was crazy. Because I think the we watched a video on that, too. But I think when they went, the people that we watched a video of was, like, during COVID or something. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so they yeah, couldn't go. Yeah, but I just think that's crazy that's and uh i looked at like pictures of the festivals and stuff and it's a lot of like cultural dancing and like music and food and it's basically just a celebration of like their ancestors and the summer solstice changing of seasons and stuff like that but i i find that like very interesting yeah um back on your like covid point yeah i was researching and it was like if you got COVID in the Sahara Republic, you're pretty much guaranteed to die because oh, yeah. it's just so cold that your lungs just can't support having COVID at the same time. That's so wild. And even like, because you said pneumonia was pretty prevalent too. I bet a lot of people who got COVID got pneumonia also. Like at the same time, and I mean, even if you were here and got COVID and pneumonia at the same time, like that's that's a pretty rough sentence. So yeah, yeah that that's crazy. Yeah, I've had COVID twice. Yeah. I thought my lungs were struggling, but I could never imagine yeah. something like that. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. in that type of climate. And it's it's crazy how COVID was still very prevalent in that area because we were just talking about how sparsely populated it is. And, like, you would think it'd be harder for it to be transmitted through such a sparse population. But apparently, if, like, the festival got cut off and stuff like that, like, COVID was still pretty rampant around that area, which is... Yeah, Weird and to think uh, about. they have their, uh, like, big city in, like, the middle. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called, but... I think it's Yakutia, isn't it? Something yeah, like that? Yakutia, or something like that, yeah. I think so. Um, they are... It was, like, very prevalent because they're so, like, near each other, and it's, it's like, cold and stuff, so there, there's a lot of coughing and mm-hmm. stuff and sneezing, mucus everywhere because of the cold. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's just, like pretty easy to get COVID, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense when you bring up that point of um, just the weather being an effect of, like, medical conditions. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you you were, your topic was about architecture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the architecture in Sahara Republic is mostly woods, because wood is, like, a good heat insulator, so it gets warmer easier, and the heat from like firewood heater will like stay in the house longer and there's like 
barely any metal, like steel, around around Yakut, cause if you like touch the metal and it's like freezing temperatures, it will like rip your skin off, and I think that's really harsh, and I guess it won't like happen a lot, cause they're like wearing gloves and everything, but. I think it's important that the houses and buildings, like the modern houses, are elevated from the ground by like the silts, so it won't like melt the permafrost, and it will actually keep the building warmer because it's like elevated off the ground. And silts, I think it's like really important over there because. A, it prevents the building from tilting and like, yeah. And I think that's, oh, the cars. The cars are interesting to me because they, they have to keep the cars running so it will wow. still work. Yeah, and that's insane. They have to like get a blanket, like a huge jacket for it for the winter so it won't freeze if you don't, if you don't want to keep your car on and they would actually number the the blanket so your car won't get lost oh wow so the one thing i heard so you were talking about um about how their architecture is primarily wood yeah that's i mean that's good cuz the steel would probably be very like yeah. problematic but one thing i can see is if they're using these fire pits and something goes wrong, I mean, a primarily wooden house would go up in flames in seconds. True. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. And then also with the cars, having to leave my car running 24-7, that'd be insane. That's so much gas. So much. Right. I guess it, it makes sense, because they're, like, from... They're, like, in Russia, so mm -hmm. oil is a bit very cheaper. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Your Russia's one true. of the biggest oil exporters yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very true. So gas prices couldn't be very expensive over there. I mean, compared to yeah. what it is over here. Yeah. Maybe now they are with the whole Ukraine stuff. They yeah. might be now, but I feel like usually, probably not because it's so prevalent there. Yeah. Um, another thing about the wood that I thought was interesting that just popped in my mind while you were talking was... I can I can't imagine how expensive wood is in that area because they're above the tree oh, yeah. line. You know what I mean? They don't have any mm -hmm. trees. Yeah. Like if you really wanted to now, you could go down and cut trees and like no one's gonna do it. But you could cut down a tree around here and build a house. You know, but yeah. like there they're above the tree line. They don't have any type of vegetation to do that. So I bet lumber is so expensive there. It's probably like a very rare commodity, honestly. Oh yeah, and any forest that you find, like I mentioned, they're they're stunted, so it's, oh, it's yeah. you're not going to get as much as you would in a traditional forest. Right. Yeah, back on that like car point, in that one video we watched about like the festival and stuff, mm -hmm. when they were driving around, they were like, "Yeah, if our car breaks down, we're going to die." Yeah, yeah. That, I remember that. That's crazy. They were like within 30 minutes, you will die if your car breaks down cuz there's no heat then. Yeah. That's like what do you like what do you do? There's there's really nothing. Yeah. They were like there's not enough people driving to like call for help or anything. Yeah. So you're just pretty much guaranteed to die. That was that was insane to that me. That is crazy. And I think they even said like telephone lines like out like way like outside the main city at least, like just aren't really there. So I mean yeah. if, even if you wanted to call someone, it's like you probably can't. Yeah. That's 
That's insane. It's, so it's, it's really like a life or death like situation leaving their house every mm-hmm. single time they leave their house, which is yeah such a, like a culture shock to think about, like for us living here. Yeah, yeah, something I'd like to like probably get more information on is like how the people like before like in the end like at the beginning of this mm-hmm. like how did they survive like without electricity yeah, and like stuff? what were they doing that was like able to keep them alive and keep them thriving because if we didn't have like what we had today ugh, I don't yeah. know I don't know yeah I mean it's, it seems like a lot of like their survival is based around technology yeah believe it or absolutely. not just because I mean it's they're living in such a harsh environment that it's just mm-hmm. there's really you can't survive without technology Another thing I thought was interesting is, like, how, like, it was originally, like, a gulag for, like, the Russian government where they just sent political, like, rivals and stuff. Yeah, I I, I remember talking about that a little bit in class, and I thought that that was really interesting, too. But, um, yeah, I wonder how, like, because I couldn't find a lot in my research of, like, Soviet-based, like, statistics and stuff just mm-hmm. because of, like, information in Russia was so sparse during like the Soviet Union um I feel like it'd be really interesting to go back through like all of these statistics really and just look at how they like would have been different during Soviet era Russia all right well one more time I'm Logan Hatfield I'm Noah I'm Parker Fleming I'm Leo Tankov and thank you so much for listening we enjoyed doing this